Thursday at 1.30 p.m. That's when the first practice is at the Steelers Southside facility. That'll really get, finally, the 2021 season moving along. There's a lot of questions that come with that. But I'm here to answer at least one of those, and I feel emphatically. Good morning to you. Good Monday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Steelers. Comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into hockey and or baseball. I also offer up Daily Shots of Penguins and Pirates right where you found this. Today and tomorrow, I'm going to identify my breakout candidates on either side of the football and to first define what I mean by breakout. It's not who's going to be the best player. You can probably gauge rather easily, you know, who those who those individuals are. And it's not going to be who's the best newcomer on the scene or else we could just get this over with in a heartbeat. Well, TJ Watt's going to be the best player on defense or Najee Harris is going to be the best newcomer on offense. Well, duh. I'm looking for a player who does what Mike Tomlin usually describes relative to his year two guys as just rising up to another level, breaking out, breaking through, popping your head through the ceiling. And where the Steelers' offense is concerned, which is where I'm going to start here, there's more than one candidate from which to choose. Throwing out a complete wild card for you, what if Pat Fryermuth ends up becoming the starting tight end? That, of course, being the second-round pick out of Penn State. If he can block better than Eric Ebron, he really ought to be on the field. Maybe just on that count alone, considering the state of the offensive line and the importance of keeping Ben Roethlisberger upright. So maybe it would be him. But a stronger possibility is Chase Claypool. Claypool, he had this one breathtaking catch that I'm going to try to jog your memory to go back to against the Giants in East Rutherford on the right sideline. You with me now? And as that ball was in the air, and I'm covering that game, and we're back by the end zone. Whole place is empty, by the way. Really creepy scene. 80,000-seat stadium. And the ball's coming down. I remember thinking to myself, no way. This has a 0% chance of connecting. And Claypool went up through two New York defenders, came down with it, and just elegantly stayed in bounds to make that catch happen. And I thought, whoa. And then you know what? That specific trait really wasn't there for him as much the rest of the season. And if it does make it back, and it's something that he himself has talked about, wanting to be better at the combat catches, be stronger with his hands and his arms when the ball is up, when it's a four-grabs thing, stuff that we've talked about in a positive sense for a long time now in regards to James Washington. If Chase Claypool can put that together and come down with the football 
more often and become a deep threat, he's going to be that breakout guy. He's going to have that Mike Tomlin year two in his actual year two. But you know what? He's not my guy either. I'm telling you who my guy is right after this very brief message from our title sponsor. At Point Park University in the heart of downtown Pittsburgh, they understand there's no substitute for real-world experience and career-building connections. Their innovative curriculum engages students with distinctive experiential learning opportunities. Point Park's pioneering co-op program empowers qualified students to work in full-time, paid positions with their corporate partners while earning college credits. Visit pointpark.edu works to learn more. Career-ready. That's the point. Point Park University. My guy is Deontay Johnson. And I know that's going to seem a little bit strange in the sense that Deontay is semi-established on the NFL scene. We know what he is, or at least we think we do. Uh, He's made an impression. He certainly hasn't disappointed, but I'm going to argue that he also hasn't broken out, that he has yet another level. And I'm going to give you a couple reasons why. One is the obvious. He's not a 15-drop guy, even though he actually just was a 15-drop guy in 2020. You will not find a more freakish statistic spanning the entire NFL than a player who is as sure-handed as Deontay Johnson leading the league in drops. It's insane. What happened to him, getting really specific, in Buffalo was beyond insane, where he couldn't catch a ball that was put right between the one and the eight from six yards away. Do you remember that? And then they had to bench him in the second half. Crazy stuff. Will never be repeated. Football analysts, including advanced statistical analysts, will cite that drops come and go. They waver. Uh, They're not something that stays consistent through someone's career. Yes, there are players who are prone to it over a long period of time. There are exceptions. By the way, Ebron happens to be one of them because they just, whatever, they just have butterfingers. But Deontay's never had that issue. He didn't have it in Toledo. He didn't have it, for the most part, in his first year with the Steelers. He just, all of a sudden, just started dropping the ball. And to hear him explain it, which he did during minicamp, it was a matter of just trying to make a play before he was 100% sure that he had the ball where he needed to have it. He's always thinking of the next move, the next juke, the next whatever, getting yards after the catch. And that's fair because he's good at it. Of course, he's going to have to change his mindset a little bit in terms of bringing in the football before he does all that. I think he will. I think he will. So that's one. That's the obvious one. The other one might not be as obvious, but maybe it should be. And that's this. Ben loves to throw to this kid. For all the talk and all the hype and everything else that we do with Juju Smith-Schuster, 
and really it hasn't been deserved on a football level since Juju's rookie year, Ben's Ben's target, quite literally, is Deontay, his number one target. How do I know that? Because Deontay leads the team in targets, always. That's not just because Ben decided to go uh, with a lot of short yardage stuff last year, whether he trusted his line or didn't trust his line, or that's the way Randy Featner drew up the playbook. It doesn't matter. He's always thrown the ball the most to Deontay Johnson. There is a reason for that. It's not a personal affinity. It's not that, you know, he's become Ben's favorite or his pal or whatever it is. It's that Deontay finds a way to get open. Stay with this number because the first time I read this, I had to do a little bit of a double take and figure out what it was. Deontay gets what is considered to be open on 46% of all of his targets. What that means is that when the ball is thrown to Deontay, he is deemed, and this is an analysis done by Pro Football Focus, and they have their own gauge when they freeze the frame on the film that shows the distance, the separation between the receiver and the the nearest coverage on that receiver. When Ben tried to get a pass through to Deontay, he was open 46% of the time. That is, for reference here, between 6 to 8% higher than the NFL average because this statistic that I just gave you spans both of Deontay's first two years. And you see that. You see that. I'm not telling you anything you haven't recognized yourself. Deontay finds a way to get open. He's an elite route runner. That's why the late wide receivers coach, Daryl Drake, loved him. Loved him coming out of Toledo. Told him he was going to be a star in the NFL. Because he knew he had the ability to do the one thing that's, well, (laughs) the great separator. And that's to create separation. If you do that with Ben Roethlisberger, he's going to get you the ball. People talk about Heath Miller having been a big target for Ben for such a long time. And of course he was. And Heath put himself into some good prominent spots across the middle of the field where it was really hard to miss the 83 there. But Heath also was good at getting his separation in his own way. Heath was open. If you flash back in your head and picture some of those passes that Ben made to Heath, Heath was open. Doesn't matter how. Doesn't matter if they forgot to cover him or whatever. He was open. Deontay gets open. And if Deontay gets open the way he always has in the past, and Deontay holds on to the football, and Deontay then does those things that make him special in terms of route running, but applies them towards yards after the catch, yeah, that's breakout material. That's breakout material. He's my breakout guy. Let's just hope I didn't drop the ball on this one. Oh, no, I didn't. Oh, no, I didn't. When we come back, just one question.
discussion that's brought to you always on this program by the personal injury law firm of Luxembourg, Garvin, Kelly, and George, LGKG. They represent people who are hurt in car accidents, who needed assistance with workers' comp, who filed medical malpractice claims. The attorneys at LGKG have been AV rated. That is the highest rating a law firm can receive for legal ability and ethics. Learn more about them at lgkg.com or by calling 888-842-5454. Today's question comes from Chuck, who asks, DK, who do you expect most to benefit with Matt Canada being OC? Who has the greatest opportunity to thrive given what we know about Canada? Hmm. Let's see. I would say that the greatest literal opportunity, meaning getting onto the football field, will be that of Derek Watt because he wasn't getting onto the football field. And indications were strong both visually and verbally through OTAs and minicamp that the Derek Watt thing is not a bluff. He's going to be involved in the offense. So in that sense, I would say Watt, but I don't think that's what you're asking. (laughs) I think you're talking about which player would benefit most performance-wise from Canada being the OC. Uh, I'm going to give you a lazy answer, okay? And and, and only because I think it's the the right one. And I'm going to say Najee Harris because this coordinator has been tasked upon being hired, which is not a small thing, first and foremost to elevate this running game, to pick it up off the floor, which is where it was last season, 32nd out of 32 teams. So the first-round pick gets invested into Harris. The scheme gets aligned not only with some of the misdirection and so forth that you saw Canada Help Institute early last season before Feetner scrapped it, but also with the zone-blocking scheme that is aimed, again, at assisting the run moving blockers out into space, having them block areas as opposed to bodies so that the runner can capitalize on set routes. The runner doesn't just have to read off what the blocks achieve. It's different. But I'm also told in no uncertain terms that it's not something that's difficult for young players to pick up meaning very specifically Canada's approach to blocking. So if you put all those things together and you have the franchise quarterback, ideally healthier, more fit, uh, less concerned about re-injuring his surgically repaired elbow, and you have a group of wide receivers who are talented and motivated and competitive, you've got a lot of different weapons, all of which ultimately I feel will most benefit the running back. Because if Najee is taking advantage of all this, the way that 
everyone's kind of expecting, maybe excessively expecting. He should be the AFC's Offensive Rookie of the Year. He should be. And it's hard to imagine the Canada offense, I'm trying to answer your question as like specifically as I possibly can here, meaning toward what you asked. If the Canada offense helps Najee Harris achieve a performance where he's even in that discussion, then he'll absolutely be the one who'd have benefited from from it the most. Now, that said, you know and I know that if and when that happens, the offensive coordinator is not getting any credit for it. I mean, none whatsoever. It'll all be about this kid. And you know what? That's fine. The players play. Give them the credit where it's deserved. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Steelers. We'll do another one of these tomorrow when we'll only be two days away from the start of training camp. (laughs) 